Hi, I'm Andy. Hi, I'm Nuke. And we're the co-hosts for the Kings of Hearts podcast. Hey, welcome back onto the Kings of Hearts podcast with Yanukwa and Andy. It's Andy checking in here with everyone. In this episode, we get the pleasure and the opportunity to sit down with one of our really good friends, Kyle Rushton. Kyle is a relationship alchemist and architect. He coaches people on how to bridge the gap between fear and love and to help them build stronger, healthier, and more meaningful relationships with themselves, with their partners intimately, and also with the world around them. He's also the co-host of Modern Masculinity Podcast, which I've had the pleasure of being a guest on uh, with him and Anwar. The podcast, it's a men's personal development podcast focused on unpacking and redefining what it means to be a modern man. In this episode, we get deep about everything relationship and some pretty amazing topics that came up, such as radical ownership and integrity in relationship. We talk a little bit about Kyle's story as well and why he's coaching, why he's helping people, why is this, why this is his mission. And we, we dig a little bit deeper in, in around the topics of emotionality, feeling not worthy enough, being proactive. And I think I'll leave it at that because this is just an amazing episode that I'm excited for everyone to listen to. So thanks for tuning in. And as always, take notes. Enjoy. Right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Kings of Hearts podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Kyle Rushton. Welcome, brother. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Thank you. Super excited to have you uh, with us today and to have, you know, let this conversation unfold and see what sort of topics we unpack together, what sort of value uh, we can deliver for for men and, and for the audience that's going to be tuning into this episode. So, before we we get any any deeper, brother, let's um let's first of all take a breath together. Something we like to do at Kings of Hearts just to tune in and ground. So, if you're listening, join in with us right now. Uh, for the guys that are with me, Kyle Yanuqua. Hey, Yanuqua, what's up, brother? What up? <laughs> Let's uh, let's get into our bodies. Let's let's plant our feet on the ground. Make contact with the earth. Find good structure and integrity in our body. Engaging our core, relaxing our shoulders, and let's just take an inhale with uh, with each other through the nose, out the mouth. On three, two, one. Kyle, man, it's good to have you, gentlemen. You lost you, me. You lost me there for a second. I was sitting there like we're still breathing, right? This feels nice. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going with it. <laughs> See, uh, that's the magic of breath work. You really get present with it. It takes you to a different realm uh, sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Every time. So before we we begin our actual conversation and into the topic that we want to get into today around relationships, dynamics, the masculine and relationship, all things that come with that, everything in between, 
why don't you give the audience um, a little bit about a, a little intro about you, what you do, who you are, what you stand for, mm. how you serve. Beautiful. I love that. And I love the specific, the specificity of what do you stand for? I can't say I was prepared for that question. And so I, I like the pull at that, the deeper sense uh, of who I am in that question. Yeah. What's going on, everyone? Hello. Thank you so much for being a part of this space with us. Uh, my name is Kyle. I generally go by actually Coach Kyle. Uh, I am a coach for generally, honestly, life, but specifically relationships. I'm a relationship coach and I help people uh, essentially build strong, meaningful, and powerful relationships through the process of alchemization and architecture from the ground up. For me, relationships have been a part of my life intensely since as far back as I can remember. So it is a deep passion of mine to help people just really find profound love and profound connection with their partners. And I am also, I also have the great honor, as you mentioned, of being a co-host for the Modern Masculinity Podcast. And that's co-hosted with my partner, Anwar. And we together do similar work to you guys in supporting men and men's mental health, men's personal development. And really, I think what we're all trying to search for is just getting to what feels like a safe space for what it means to be a man within each of us and just allowing that to be a safe space. So that's a bit about kind of what I do and how I serve. Uh, and what I stand for is integrity. Without a doubt, I stand for integrity and I stand for radical ownership. I think that's something that uh, I am very passionate about and finds itself at the forefront of all of the work that I do. Dude, I love that, man. And we're going to, I'd love to eventually touch on those two points and, and how that shows up in our topics, integrity mm -hmm. and radical ownership in relationship. I made a note here. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll touch on that. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that at all, man. Beautiful. Can you talk a little bit about how you, how you ended up serving men, like why you started a little, why you started the podcast and, and why, why relationships? Did some, was it something that was personal in your life that took you on this trajectory? Without a doubt. Yeah. I have a deep history of healthy, and mostly unhealthy relationship dynamics, whether they were things that I witnessed, they were modeled to me, or that I were a part of. It was and has been a lifelong journey of discovery. And even in the moments where I thought I had it, I didn't have it. So uh, to take us premise, my, my mother had me at a very young age. So there was a dynamic that I was already witness to when she was 15. And that sparked a different type of relational experience that I was witness to growing up. There was uh, a lot of temper tantrums, a lot of you know childish anger and childish emotion that was being expressed at that age, as it does. 15 years old, having a child, I can only imagine, right? And so that grew into just more relational dynamics. Men were kind of here, they weren't here. And I never really saw a healthy dynamic within relationships. And so what I was basically trying to do was pull at what I felt was actually working and what I felt wasn't. And just kind of running with that to create my model of what a relationship would look like. And so that's how I entered the world. That's how I entered a relationship was with that model. And I had my very first kiss in grade five. Like I was so intense with relationships that I was just like, let's get into it as soon as I possibly can. I don't know what that pull exactly was. And maybe it was just possibly my seeking out of 
a healthier dynamic that I could be a part of that I could create that I was in, uh, in a sense of, I had power of that I have power of, of creating. Uh, but it was from that moment on until I think I was 24, 25, maybe I was just in and out in, in and out of relationships over and over again. One of them lasted seven years, but it had two big six month stints where we broke up and I ended up dating other people because, well, you know, to be frank with you, uh, I struggled to be alone. So I was constantly chasing a new relationship. And then I finally took a stand for myself for two years to be single. Uh, Again, I think for me, I was just avoiding the struggles that I found myself in with relationships. And essentially what this all culminates to this current now is that I always thought that I, I always knew that I could help people in some way. I always knew that there was this pull at me to be, I would call it more of a teaching style than it would be a inspiration or a motivation type style. And with having this big, deep history, I think I just neglected it and decided I would take a different route. So I started just general life coaching instead of doing exactly what I knew I should have been doing. And it took me almost four years to finally realize that relationships is really where I take the strongest stand for and what I believe in to be some of the most impactful moments that we spend in our life and how often it is that we are not actually enjoying that time and how short those moments can really be and how to really utilize them. So there's a lot there to pull at. I have a big history of relationships. So that's, again, that's really what sparked the whole motivation. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that brother. Inukwe, do you want to jump in? Yeah, this is really good. Kyle, and thanks for your transparency, man. I'm learning a lot about you, which is beautiful. And the question I have for you, and you've you've alluded to it already, is this word alchemist and architect. Mm. Why those words? I'm curious. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Well, first and foremost, I think that as you just say the word alchemy, architect, there is some sort of feeling that you get with those words. And so, you know, just essentially, if I were to say I'm a relationship coach, it it feels as if I'm just giving you the answers or all we're doing is like coaching us through the process. But really what I think that I support people with, and the reason that I love these words is because uh, if you Google the definition of alchemy, there's a few things that come up, but one of them is it's essentially turning multiple components of, let's say, lead uh, into silver and gold. And another way to put that is it turns the ordinary into extraordinary. And so turning our relationships, utilizing the space we have currently, which is a lot of times very ordinary. It's, it's very, and in many ways for me, it's been very boring. And also it's had its high highs and low lows, which is still this, this sense of ordinary. There's not an extravagance to it. And so to be able to use the alchemization of two different people, two different powerful people who don't quite yet know how powerful they really are. It's essentially like saying the the lead can turn into silver and gold if it's mixed with the right component. So if we were to mix the two powers that we have as, as a couple, as a partnership together, then we are able to then reach something extraordinary. And in alchemy, the word is also used magical. It often seems magical as if how could that even have been possible? 
no one's ever been witness to that, or I've never been witness to that before. So the alchemization process, that's the, that's the reason that I use that word specifically. And then architecture, you know, again, it's similar to building a building, building a strong, sturdy, 100-foot building. It, it's what does the foundation look like? And what was that built out of? You know, we all know that if a building isn't built firmly from the ground, then it's going to topple. And so what does the architecture side of it look like? What are we focusing on? And for me, I, how do I, how do I word it here? I was just writing it out actually this morning. Cause I'm like, I know there's a great way to say this, but essentially as I help people plan and design the architecture by providing them with insight and tools and practices and, and maybe the right guide uh, to another person who could help like an outsource Essentially, when you build a building, right, it takes a village. It takes a massive team to do so. It's not just the two people who had the idea of building the building. So I help you plan and design while overseeing the process of construction and kind of essentially bringing the two minds together in a safe space because we know they're going to clash. We know they're going to battle. They're going to have an idea on how to organize that room and how to build that floor. And they're going to butt heads. And so the overseeing process creates this alchemy. It creates this utilization of both minds, both powerful people to create uh, one of the most magnificent buildings in the city. Dude, that's really well said. <laughs> I, had a, <laughs> you. I had a hat, I take it off. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm fascinated with architecture. So I love mm. that you even that you use that word. That's one and how you described it. And then this idea of an alchemist. Uh, so my dad is a pharmacist. And so, um, you know, just that idea of bringing things together. And I mean, and as you were talking to you, like, it sounded like you were talking like a chef because I, I so I went to cooking school. So it just sounded like oh, you were beautiful. Bringing, bringing all the ingredients together, right. And making sure that they blend and that there's cohesion and what have you. And that takes practice that mm-hmm. that takes, it's an art. You know, and, and and as you were describing, I was like, yeah, that that's art. And for you to wrap that around relationships, hmm. like, isn't that, the <laughs> thing, isn't that the thing that we're all low key and high key striving for? And everything that we do, right? We're, we are saying what we're saying, doing what we're doing so that you'd be like, hey, Kyle, look at me. Hey, Andy, will you be my friend? Like you fill in the blank, right? So, mm-hmm. amen. A burger is not as great as it is with cheese. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you guys, like what, what's coming up in, uh, in me right now to share uh, based on you know this discussion over an arch- architect is that, and I love, I love the analogy because, you know, the architect designs and supports and guides, but the architect isn't the builder. Like the people in the relationship are responsible for that piece. And I find that sometimes when, when, when a couple wants to build a relationship or they're going through some sort of trouble or conflict, a lot of the times they outsource their own responsibilities. Maybe it's to each other. Maybe it's to something outside of themselves. Uh, and I feel like sometimes it's just a lack of ownership, a, l- a little bit of a lack of ownership. So I love the, the analogy, man, of like the architect, because it would really help your clients and the people that are desiring to build a conscious relationship know and understand that, yo, like we got to show up. We can have all the tools. We can have all the knowledge, the wisdom, the motivational quotes, the memes, all these things. And it's over to us to execute. It's over to us to integrate, to apply, to ask questions, to tweet. Mm-hmm. 
shift to navigate that, right? And, and as I say that, I, I'm curious what comes up in both you guys. Anything, anything stir up for you? Yeah, I think I think you nailed it on the head. I think that's really where I see it. Is that you nailed it on the head in the sense of the responsibility of the architect is just to bring some designs to the table to create some ideas, some provoking ideas as to what could possibly work here and what design might you want. Maybe you haven't considered the design whatsoever. You don't know what kind of wallpaper you want. You don't know how you want this bathroom to be organized. You don't know what the foundation might even look like. And so I'm here to present or we're here to present the ideas, the possibility is really, I think, what it is. It's we're presenting the infinite potentiality of this building. And at the end of the day, though, I'm not here to do that work for you. And no coach, I think, ever ever really is. It is just the, the breaking down the wall that is in the way of that infinite potentiality. And that's one of the reasons why I use the concept um, bridging the gap between fear and love uh, in some of my programs, because bridging the gap is the the crossing over the taking the fear with you or maybe leaving the fear behind you and knowing that on the other side of whatever it is your fear which probably would be a thousand foot building toppling over um would then be how do you step across into into the loving side of it and knowing that you've built the foundation that you can always rebuild on top of again but the work is a hundred percent up to them <laughs> unique i'd say i see your your face is your mind is moving yeah, man, this is this is really good. And I love that you brought this idea of fear or bridging the gap between fear and love. And it's something that Andy and I are always are always addressing. It's like, yeah, you feel the fear. And so what? Still go execute love, however that looks. And what you're bringing is okay, like, what is that gap? Right? Like, let's get clear on that because mm-hmm. that's what's getting in the way. And if we don't address that, then so what? Like like we can all argue like, yes, we all want love, but it's like, and I'm, and I'm going to use your, your words, unless there's like a radical ownership around where you're at. Right. And I'm going to plug in some William Shakespeare to thy own self be true here. Right. Like we don't cross the gap from fear to love if you're not willing to own where you're at. So, mm-hmm. amen. Amen. And sometimes it's owning the fact that what you actually fear is on the other side of that bridge. It is the love. That is the fear that's really there. Uh, I think so often, actually, that is the truth of it all, is the, fe- is the fear is love. The fear is what love could possibly do to us and do for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, that's the paradox of love. We, we, fear, we fear it, uh, but we, 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 know, we know that when we can welcome more of it into our lives, it can be this, this magical, potent uh, force that helps us become better people, help help us serve better in the world is that alchemy piece. And even on top of that alchemy piece, the thing that comes up in my mind, I, I brings me immediately back to like my, my hardships with love, my breakups, mm-hmm. my, you know, the abandonment, the betrayal, the, you know, fill in the bank, uh, fill in the blank situation or trigger. And I have, you know, if I reflect on it, even right now, it's, it's through those, those moments where I was presented with these beautiful opportunities to really level up in that pain. We alchemize pain into, into growth. And the vehicle was love. The vehicle was romance. The vehicle was relationship. 
And I think that's, I think there's something so beautiful about that alchemy part as well. And in the chaos, not, not only in the good stuff, the good feelings. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I, I, something that just came to me was uh, pain is just one component, right? It's like the lead. It's just one of the pieces, but lead can't just automatically turn into silver and gold. It needs something else. And that vehicle that you used, I think that uh, what came to me was the alchemization of pain and possibility. The pain is still there, but the possibility of what that pain could do for you is infinite. And so how do you alchemize those two together to create something that you never saw coming, to create that silver, to create that gold? Magic. No pun intended. Magic. Amen. Magic. I can see Yanuqua giggling there. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got nothing to share. I'm just giggling over here. <laughs> just taking it all in. Yeah. And, and I loved your point, Yanuqua, because that radical ownership part, it's a, we can't change what we don't own. The ownership part is a part of that platform, part of that foundation to to start a new, to birth something new between two people. And I think that's what sort of makes, you know, call it one of the first fundamental pieces of conscious relationship, right? Is to, it's to own our part, own our part in it. Right. hundred percent. How hard that is. You know, it's so fascinating to me how hard it is for us to do so. It, it takes so much courage. I have found within myself and with my partner and with the people I speak to is it just seems like it takes everything to start to own what this experience is trying to uncover for us. And it's wild to me how uh, protective and how honestly, how great of a job the the primal instinct and the ego and the back of the mind really is. It it blows my mind sometimes and how quickly it overruns. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's absolutely beautiful that we have this component of ourselves that uh, just can just take over and it doesn't care what you have to say or think it's just protect and let's do this. And so to face that part of you and know that that's what's really happening is just protection. And then it, it allows you to come to the forefront of your mind, your, your, um, I can't remember the word here, but just essentially it'll take you from the back, which I consider protection to the front, which is connection. It's one of the two is happening. And to own the fact that you're protecting implies that there's something to protect. And from there, then you have to uncover, you all automatically become responsible for uncovering what it is that you were trying to protect, what you are trying to protect. And that is where the real courage shows up because that is essentially having a mirror that looks far deeper than the skin level of your, of yourself looks much deeper into the soul of who you are and forces you to face things. You didn't even really know that were there. That's courageous. Cause that's unknown, scary territory, you know? Mm. Well, well said protection to connection. Okay. So, so I have a question here. Cause this is coming through me. Cause so you guys, I, I'm always trying to be like, okay, like why, why do we do what we do? Right. Simply put, why do we do what we do? You know? And even Kyle, like you saying, okay, like that need to protect. And I, and I think, you know, when you get around a four-year-old, a five-year-old, they don't have anything to protect. Okay. I shouldn't say anything, but they are so open and generous and just abundant. And it's like, man, like, it's like, so, so, so I guess my question to both of you is like, like what got in the way for you individually that you feel, you know, you had to put the armor on, so to speak, 
or put mm. the mask on, mm. right? So that we could protect the inner Andy, the inner Kyle from showing his raw, vulnerable, loving, giggly stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Because to me, I'm like, you, like, I'm fascinated with kids and just how <laughs> open, like, you love purple. I love purple. Oh my God, we're best friends. <laughs> Purple's like, the best damn simple. color. You know, like, it's simple, you know? And then versus, mm. like, and Andy, Andy and I were talking earlier and he was like, you know, like, tr- trying to try to make friends when you're an adult is <laughs> a little bit harder because now <laughs> you have all like this, yeah. like, filters <laughs> you need to go through before you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. A hundred percent. So yeah, anyway, does it make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah, it does. Uh, Andy, I'll, I'll let you take this. I feel like you have a, a solid answer to this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I have a solid answer, but I, I, I love the question. And the, the thing that it's kind of pokes at me is like kids, they don't like adults. We have, we place stories on, on things. We have our, our ego. We have like our egos a little bit more developed as adults. We've been through more stuff. We've learned more things. We, 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 we tend to have, I think it's habitual as well that we, we have a story, we attach stories to certain things. And I feel like that storytelling piece oftentimes initiates that protection piece, right? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to get into a relationship again, because women will always abandon me. So I'd rather just be single and, and navigate surface level uh, one night stands or whatever, because women always leave me. That's a, that's a, like a story. And I feel like, you know, when you say like a four or five-year-old kid, I don't, I don't think they're at that place yet where they place a story with a situation, right? Like they, they go about their day and they, you know, they lose a toy or something <laughs> and it hurts. They feel the loss of the toy and then they grieve it. They make a scene out of it. And then mom gets a new toy or they find something else to play. They really actually forget it. They probably forget about it the next day. They don't have this, this mechanism in their brain yet where they place a story to it. And so I think that with kids, they, uh, they, have, they, they have that. And I, and I think with adults, yeah, we storytell a lot. And our work, though, uh, as a part of like our inner child and whatnot is to be able to unlearn, unpack, bring more awareness to, okay, what story am I telling myself right now that keeps me from love that keeps me in fear? And is that story true? Is it absolutely true? Am I able to release this story? How can I release this story? And then What's a new story? What's a new, what's a new story that I could, you know, Kyle said possibility uh, earlier, 10, 15 minutes ago around possibility. What's a new story that could be my new possibility here that would actually serve me, that would serve my future partners, that would serve people around me so that we can all come back to love. So I think like for me, that, that piece is around storytelling. Hmm. I love that. I love that. That's great. And I love this question. I have had so many opportunities, uh, thankfully, with my partner to have a conversation around this uh, because we're constantly, the two of us are constantly trying to figure out, okay, where does this come from? 
Like this response, or not even this response, because that implies that I'm doing it well, this reactivity that I'm having, what is that? Why am I, why am I so unknowingly pulled to want to attack back right now? What, what, what is that? What's really going on there? And we always go back as far as we can to memories we have of our childhood of, of what may have caused that. What's, what's surfacing in that area? And because we go there, we talk about what it's like to be a child. And the question that you posed was like, what's that transition? And why does a child just not seem to care? Why is purple just the greatest thing in this earth? Why is the sand feel so damn good? What is that? And I think what I've come to realize as a truth for myself is that uh, they are the closest thing to source. They They are the closest thing to source, which means they are pure potentiality. They are pure possibility. And they're what I what I just came to me now, they're pure emotionality. They don't have the dialect or the literacy to put together a story. So what they're processing is just emotion. They're only processing what it feels like in that moment, which means that that's why it's so heightened, why purple is the greatest damn thing, because there's no processing of literacy for them to say, well, is blue better? Or is green better? They don't have that yet. So they're just processing based out of, ah, this purple feels so good. Yes. I love this color. And then that's why I think temper tantrums are so easy and quick to happen because they feel hurt. They have they have the, the general sense of, of basic emotions like hurt and pain and sadness and joy. And, and that's what I mean by pure emotionality, not the extended literacy versions we have now um, as adults that we've you know created to make things more complicated. Uh, so as a child, it's so simple. So the hurt turns into a temper tantrum instantly because there's no literacy to say, okay, am I thinking this right? Is this story appropriate? Is this really happening? What's happening here? Uh, it's just that hurt. Wah, 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 wah. Right? And so what I, what I think then happens is over the course of time, we're given literacy by our upbringing. We're given literacy language by our, our parental caregivers. And that is when things start to go wrong. And that might sound like it's the parent's fault. Um, and I think radical ownership says, yes, it is. And that has to be okay. It just has to be owned that I did say those things and that may have caused this. Uh, but it doesn't mean that they did a bad job. It just simply means that a child is highly aware of how you're making them feel. And so they'll run with that and then create a story out of it later as an adult. So if let's take the purple marker, for example, right? This purple marker is the best thing in this world. I'm five years old. I can't get enough of this purple marker. Um, and then the purple marker runs out. And I ask my parents, I want a new purple marker. And they deny me a purple marker. They say, no, you're only allowed to use the other colors. And then maybe you can have a purple one. Well, that's going to hurt. That's going to feel like, why don't you love me? That's really how it translates. Why don't you love me enough to give me this purple marker? So then how does that translate over time? It's essentially saying that we can't have what we want. So how does that affect our drive, our uh, perseverance, our, um, our, our desire? What does that look like? If it was denied that one time, that could process as we're not going to get it. We just have to deal with the cards that we have and then we can't reach for more. We can't find a way to get the purple marker again as an adult. Now, that's a very small, minuscule kind of experience, but it's just, it's essentially the telling of um, then what am I protecting then as an adult? What, what feeling as a child did I not enjoy that now I'm trying to not feel again? So I'm going to protect everything I can to not feel that again. 
And maybe it's not the purple marker. Maybe it's a singing in the shower and your parents say, can you stop singing? You're a terrible singer. So for the rest of your life, you're just going to protect the fact that you could might be a singer, but you don't want to chance that same feeling because that was the pure emotionality of it. It was so heightened. And as adult, we have the ability, um, maybe not in the, the best sense to control that emotionality, which then reduces our possibility of, of, of a fulfilling human experience as an adult. So, I mean, in the long-winded answer, I think it's, there's so many things at play there and so many infinite possibilities of what could be going on. Um, but I really do think that um, a, a child is so carefree and careless sometimes because there isn't the possibility of, of mental processing. It's just the feeling. It's just the juicy, juicy feeling and emotionality that they have. Um, and they're pure. They are pure. I love that, Kyle. And way to circle it back because, I, because <laughs> no, it's, it's good because like the thing that both you and Andy were alluding to is the child is in real time. They are not caught up in, you know, what's going to happen after this. It's like, yo, in this moment right now, it is all about mm-hmm. purple. That is it. You know? Yeah. Great, great way to tie that all in together. Right? A, child is, a child is just present. They're just present, just, yeah. <laughs> present, grounded in real time. And I'm always just fascinated because it's like, yo, like, th- like in their mind, it's not like, oh, there was purple before and I didn't have it. Oh my goodness. What does this mean? Like, what else are you lying to me about? Or they're not thinking about, oh my goodness, when the purple marker runs out, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Even my parents won't give me a new purple marker. Then why? No, they're just like, it is purple now. And that is it. Mm-hmm. Who wants purple? You want purple? Do you like purple? You can be on my team. Those of you that don't like purple, you're not on my team. Okay. <laughs> like it's just, so yeah, yeah, real time. Love it. This is great. I'll stop. Yeah. Thank you for that. great. <laughs> no, no, great question. Great question. Yeah, this is good. I'd love to, I'd love to narrow the, narrow the conversation topic in a little bit to the men, men in relationship and, and see what comes up here between the three of us. Uh, in this, in this conversation, because we, we all do a great deal of work with men in, in one way in one fashion or another. And we all have a, a motivation and a, and a calling to help men be better, whether that's to be better in, in, in work or to be better with money or to be more responsible in life or to just to be a better partner for, for in their relationship. Right. And so, and so in this context, like, and even maybe I'll ask you this, Kyle is, what are some what are some roadblocks, obstacles, challenges that you think a lot of guys run into when it comes to relationship? What are some obstacles that men run into in a face relationship? Yeah, I'll do my best to seek from my own experience. I noticed that as I have engaged in the men's work, uh, the quick jump to the generalization of of all men's experiences it seems like a pull sometimes. So I'm going to do my best to speak strictly from experience, in the sense that some of the biggest things that have gotten in my way as a man in relationship uh, is, is the biggest one is my lack of emotionality. I think that that is the most obvious and is the most talked about. So maybe I can generalize there, but for me, it is that the disconnect that I have from my own emotion causes uh, a ton of ruffled feathers in my relationship because if the, the reality of it is if I, the less I can connect to myself, the less I can connect to her. So there's a huge block in our ability to actually find that deep connection that we are working so hard to find. 
because I'm not allowing myself to connect deeper to sadness, to a big one is anger, to honestly, an even bigger one might be joy. Uh, there's some specific emotions that I block because I don't feel as if a man I am um, worthy of really is what is at its root. But how it translates in, in real time is I'm not doing enough. I'm not accomplishing enough to then be able to even face the possibility that this could be joyful or to face the possibility that I'm allowed to be angry and that that's okay. It's just how I express it. But the processing of that, I never really understood. So all of the relationships that I had, and even 1.0 with my partner, we're now in 2.0, it was a challenge then as well in the sense of, I thought we really had it figured out. And I still had no idea what to do with my own emotions. I still wasn't letting them in. I still wasn't even giving them a mental space. If they showed up, I said, no. If they showed up, I pushed them a little deeper. Like it was just this rejection of, and anytime that I would try to get them through, uh, it would come through just inappropriately, not necessarily in a space of, of rage or abuse or yelling. That's something that I am a big hard no-no in with my relationships. It's a, a boundary or an agreement I make always. And, but it was just the subtle microaggressions that would come out that are really the ones where the most resentment are built. So yeah, I would say my biggest struggle uh, personally and what I've noticed with other men is the um, the emotionality side of things. And I, there's obviously a lot to pull out. I'm sure I can see your guys' heads just spinning with ideas on what's coming up because I know that's what you guys talk about often on this podcast is uh, the emotional side of men and what, how we can start to embrace that. Uh, but that would be the biggest one. And then another huge one that I'm discovering is uh, the, the picture that was painted for me about what a man is in a relationship. And how actually broken that narrative really is uh, and how unhelpful it is in the sense of you have to be the provider and you have to be the leader every single second of every day. And uh, you are is always in power or you have like much more responsibility and you have to balance. Like there's so many different narratives that I found myself in and you also have to control your emotions and you have to not be angry and just, just so much. And I overwhelmed myself with all of those by trying to go at them all at once and just saying, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to fix all of that. And I'm going to be the new man of today's age and relationship. Like it was just the hilarity of like, I could feel myself doing exactly what the narrative represents is egoic thinking of the, the, the unnecessary ego coming through and saying, I'm still going to be the best at this, which then is a direct disconnect with your partner still. It doesn't help the relationship. So that is my biggest one. And that transcends into the arena of masculine energy and feminine energy uh, and how to actually really embody that. So those are my three. Um, and there's a ton of conversation. I'm sure we can pull out of that. That was great, man. Thanks. Thanks for your transparency there and your radical ownership. Hey-o. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dude. Well, because for me, the question that I'm always curious about a guy is it's like, yo, are you aware of your shortcomings? Mm-hmm. You know, because if you're at least aware, then we can start there, right? That's a beautiful place. But, but, uh, but if I ask you that and you're like, I don't know, okay, then it looks like we have some groundwork to do. So I just love that you're aware of that. And, 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 and I wrote it down, like this lack of, of emotionality. And, and I want to ask you, how did that affect your mental health? 
Oh, good correlation. Okay, let's do this. Uh, (laughs) It affected my mental health strongly, strongly. There's There's a story that I've shared a few times in other platforms about what happened when my emotionality did decide to kick in because it's inevitable. This idea that it's repressed and suppressed forever and that it won't show up because you're doing such a good job at keeping it locked in its cage. uh, It's you're just creating a bigger beast. And eventually that beast will be strong enough to break through the cage. And there is nothing you can do about that. And so mine, my beast, my inner beast grew big enough uh, to then come out and say, um, here is everything that you have been avoiding. Here's everything that you, here is all the sorrow. Here is all the grief. Here is all the sadness and the pain and the hurt that you thought you were move, moving through, but you were really just pretending you were moving through sometimes to even appease the people around you. So they stop trying to help you and here it all is here. Every ounce of it is. And I know you don't know what to do with it, but you've given me no choice here. It all is. And that led me to multiple different stages in my life of immense guilt for denying it, shame for never embracing it. And the overload of information that I received in those moments led me to to places that I didn't think I would ever go, which are contemplating the possibility of what it would be like to end things. And I think a lot of men's experiences that I've spoken to have similar concepts and maybe not worded or articulated in the same way, but I think there is a point where it does come to where it says, I'm just tired of being tired. And I think that's really where I got to um, a few times. And that brought me to thoughts of driving down the highway and being like, what if I just didn't stop? What would happen? Um, You know, out on my deck being like, you know, how badly would I be broken if I just fell? And it was those kinds of thoughts that told me two things. One, well, told me multiple things, but it told me that there's there's some prominent ones. One is um, the way that you're thinking about this is not actionable and therefore doesn't really scare me that much. The thoughts didn't scare me. They weren't worrisome. They were thoughts. They were almost like embracing the negative possibility um, of, of, my, of what could come here, not the positive possibility, I guess. But at the same time, they actually did represent some positive possibility because when I thought about what if I just fell off my deck right now, would I survive? Instantly represents possibility of of, um, positivity, right? So there was still this element in there, which told me that I wasn't serious, but it was just simply the, the thought that made it feel like I really wasn't doing a good job in this world. And that I really couldn't figure it out. It just felt like the thoughts themselves were enough to turn me into a person that had no concept of self-worth, that had no ability to see himself in a, in a bright light. Um, so in pockets, it's, it's challenged me in suicidal ideation. It's challenged me in unexpected depression. And it's challenged me in just my own level of drive 
for life. Not even drive for success, but just try for life. Dude, that's so good. Thank you for sharing. Mm. And that's that's some real shiz right there. And and kind of like I wrote it down, like immense guilt, shame, eventually leading to thoughts of suicide. And it's like for those guys, for those of you that are listening, it's like listen, if that happens once or twice and it's a grain of sand, that's a, like you know we can handle it, keep it under the rug. But when it gets to a point and 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 the monster shows up, the beast shows up, and it's like hey, deal with all this now. Yeah, like that's where it's like, man, I don't know what to do with all this. Mm-hmm. That's harder to navigate, men, right? When it's like shame, guilt, resentment, like you name it. Mm-hmm. It is a lot, it is a lot harder to dismantle that than when it's, you know what? I feel this in this moment. I'm owning it. This is how I feel. I don't need any help. Just communicating, letting it go. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this is something I talk about with my men's groups all the time. Um, I'm like, if we can get in the habit, man, of just communicating what is on our heart consistently, then it doesn't stockpile. So then when you do feel the heavy emotions, it's not like, man, I don't want to feel this. I'm tired of holding this. This is exhausting. That the thought now is I'll just end it because I don't know how to deal with it and or I don't have the tools to process this. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. And it speaks to, uh, honestly, probably the, the fair generalization of men that we are, we are not necessarily proactive in life. We are just waiting for something to show up, to be reactive to, to allow us to fix it. Um, mm-hmm. Proactivity doesn't give this, this feeling of euphoria that it feels like when you fix things. Proactive is like doing gratitude every single day for six years and not really knowing if it's working, but just knowing that you're doing something. You have a tool. Um, instead of getting to a moment where something's taken from you and then you're forced to be grateful and then it starts to feel like, okay, oh, euphoria, right? So you're speaking to the lack of proactivity. And um, I relate this uh, to what Peter Crone says. He talks about the hospital system and he says, it's, it's not healthcare, it's sick care. Because there is no attempt to proactively support your health. So it's not healthcare. It's just waiting for you to be sick so then they can do something about it. And that relates exactly to our mental health is the proactivity of it is um, the healthcare and the getting to the point where it's too much is the sick care. The body, what's the phrase? It's saying something about um, if you like neglect your body for too long, it will force you to focus on it. Kind of like the concept of sickness. It's the same thing um, said in apparently three different ways I wanted to represent today. Um, but that's, I think that you nailed it on the head. It's what if you were to be consistently proactive each day, each moment, and what would that look like 10 years down the road? Maybe you'd go 10 years without those big moments. I don't know, but it's sure as hell a possibility. Yeah. The proactivity piece is huge for guys. And I find it really interesting because so many men were so obsessed over productivity mm. and we don't think about proactivity. Mm. Good language there. Right. That's just what was really popping up in my mind as I was hearing both of you guys speak about this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's so interesting. And my mind wants to drift right now to, you know, this, this lack of emotionality being reactive, not proactive and how, how that also affects our relationships in our lives. Mm. And I'm curious, like you were sharing a little bit about your story there, Kyle, around 
around your journey around lack of emotionality and were you at any point when you were unpacking that and, and, and healing that part of you and reclaiming that part of you, yourself, were you in relationship, a romantic relationship at all? And I'll give you a little bit, I'll give a little bit of context before I, I hand it over to you to answer that question. But I find that, and Yanukwa, you know, feel free to try, chime in here as well. We find out a lot of guys in relationship when, when they're on the early stages of unpacking their emotionality, they use their partners or the relationship container as a form, to, uh, as a, as a platform to unload, you know, their, their, their partner becomes their therapist. And it takes a, that's like, takes a great deal on, on that relationship. And so I'm curious with you, it's like, were you in relationship when you, when you were navigating this and what other thoughts you do you have around that? Yeah, that is a great question. And I can feel a passionate fire coming through me to a specific video that bothered me so much. And I'm going to do my best to kind of reserve the passion a little bit. But essentially, the video was saying that it was from a woman. And the woman said, uh, men, we are not your therapists. We, we, we are not your therapists. So don't expect us to be. And I, wanna, I really want to just quickly touch on that point in the sense of that I believe wholeheartedly that um, for lack of better language, my partner's shit is my shit and her and, and, and my shit is her shit. And in order for us to accomplish in a way, or even not even accomplish, just progress together in the deepest sense of connection, possibility, uh, potentiality, and being fully seen. If I do not get to be a part of some of those experiences and vice versa, then it, we do end up blocking the possibility of what we could be and blocking the, the more in a way that we are actively searching for. So no, I, I don't think that every partner is their partner's therapist necessarily, but I do think that there has to be an openness and a willingness to process with them and to just be a bouncing wall back and forth to what that process looks like. Um, otherwise, like I said, I think you really take away from a lot that could be possible within a relationship. Uh, but was I dating in that process? Yes and no. I th it was a combination of both, but here's where I really, really, really caught it is I don't think that I was able to really understand the depth of my emotion until I was in a relationship because what was mirrored back to me by my partner was of a lot of unexpected depth to my own emotion. I could go out there and watch a movie while I'm home alone and cry. That sure, no worries. If it's a sad movie or it's had a joyful moment, sometimes I can let myself do that, and that's easy. But if she's sitting right there, why can't I do it? And that brings me so much more enlightenment than me just trying to do things on my own. Now, that sounds like I'm taking away from the experience of navigating things solo. Absolutely not. But what I think I know I personally struggle with is doing things solo. Is, is not going to a partner for those things because of my, uh, in full transparency, I have anxious attachment style and my love language is physical touch. I also grew up very codependent and enmeshed with family systems and partners. So I have a lot that I have had to break free of to, uh, to use your language, reclaim my self-sovereignty and reclaim that ability to process and do things alone. Um, I've never questioned it, but... 
what I recognize is that um, what I learned from the mirroring process of my partner is tenfold what I learned by myself every single time. Because her perspective, her power, her output, her ability to zoom out in true feminine divine oracle essence, when she can zoom out, when I can't, because I'm just seeing tunnel vision, uh, it allows me to see things from 12 different angles that all could be possible versus the one that I'm saying is the only possibility. Uh, and that it relates exactly to my emotions mm-hmm. um, is when I'm seeing something specifically in one emotion, all of a sudden there's a zoom out right in front of me that says, well, have you seen it from this perspective? And all of a sudden my entire emotion <laughs> uh, is not, not dulled, it's calmed still there, but it's calmed. And then a flood of other possibility of emotions like joy, like happiness, like possibility show up that I was not focused on. Yeah, dude. I, I love, I love this man. I, I have to interject and just share Cause I love the, there's a lot of like excitement coming up in, in me right now about this topic because mm. you, you said like the feminine Oracle that she is, you know, it's like, mm. yeah, Hey, you know, when we're, when we're in a, a partnership with, with, uh, with a, a partner that is just so in touch with their feminine essence, they, they bring a range of emotions to the table for all, for us to both dance with. And the thing about men and, and men who identify more in like a ma- their masculine essence, we're so singular focused. Mm. That's just the, that's just the essence of the masculine, which is so like, right. Productivity direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And in, in a sense, you know, when we, when we come together and do the dance with feminine partners, they, 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 they gift us with that, that invitation to feel more, to feel different textures, to, uh, to dance in the, in the joy and the chaos and the, the grief and the, the gratitude, like, you know, then the list goes on and that's a huge nervous system upgrade for a lot of guys. And, uh, it's, it's beautiful to hear that you, you know, you entertain and you invited in a partner that has the capacity to, to go there and, mm-hmm. and then for your own bravery and to be an in integrity in life, you know, that's mm-hmm. other people that you mentioned, we already talked about ownership. Now it's integrity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Integrity with the way you serve the world is to lean into the discomforts that might come with navigating the the emotional the lack of emotionality in relationship and and how it could expand you mm-hmm. so it's freaking amazing i love love this topic and and i i need to preface something because i think sometimes in these conversations i catch myself doing it uh as we start to personal develop personal develop and self develop and grow there is an air of self-righteousness that tends to come through us as we describe our experiences and what we're doing and working on I am in no way, shape, or form beyond uh, 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 anything. Like I haven't accomplished necessarily the, I don't even know what goal there would be there. Maybe just to get never reactive. I, I don't have that accomplishment under my belt, nor do I think I ever will. I think that something I just wrote in a blog is my triggers will show up when I'm 90 years old because they're still going to be present in my life, no matter how hard I work through them. And the concept of divine oracle um, is, is like, is this is going to sound maybe aggressive, but it's like hellfire. The divine Oracle is, um, so beyond powerful that I do not handle it well sometimes because what it asks of me is just, is to destroy my paradigm. It asks of me to, if you imagine a tunnel underground 
and it's one it's a course one direction and the feminine oracle is like in the movie avengers at the end of end game where hellfire comes raining down and destroys the land but it doesn't just destroy the land it shows you 20 other infinite uh, possibilities of tunnels so it's destroyed yours in a way that has opened you up to the possibility of 20 more and that is hard and that can be debilitating and is in my experience this is no joke um, an awakened woman will will challenge you beyond your greatest depth and what it asks of you is just to stay open to process and not to production and at the same time what it asks is um, for you to face your emotionality and I, I don't do that well sometimes I don't. I react with my ego. I respond with my protection. I, uh, I attack back sometimes. I, uh, I don't know what to do. So I just go silent. I fight, I flight, I fawn, I freeze. I do all the things all sometimes because that is just what, what happens. But the way I phrase it is none of that is me breaking down. All of that is me breaking open. All of it. So I need to preface that because I am no woke spiritual teacher or master relationship guru that just doesn't have any problems. Absolutely not. That is not the reality of, I think, our human experience. I love a good preface. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Can't go go wrong with the preface. That was beautiful. And uh, spoiler alerts, by the way, Kyle, you got... Oh, man. Avengers. Avengers. Spoiler alert. Avengers. Spoiler alert. Who in this call has not seen the end of the Avenger? No. Yeah. It's all right. It's all right. You didn't ruin it for me. I don't. It's all right. It's all right. Okay. Okay. It's really only one scene, but it's not necessarily the end of, well, it kind of, yeah. I. It's all right. Dude, I don't care. For me, I'm I'm so beyond it. I'm like, Marvel comes out with... um, Doctor Strange 2, like right away here. And I'm just yeah. like, I'm in it. I'm so beyond it. And you're like, I haven't seen Endgame. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. Right. Hey, dude, I'm still, going, I'm still going to see Doctor Strange. So oh, here we damn go. right. Okay, beautiful. Here we go. Here we go. We're good. We got we to call in. Speaking of Doctor Strange, we got to call him in to erase Yunuka's memory. Bring it back in time. Mm, yeah. Yes. Yes. Use the time stone. He's got it. Didn't hear anything, Yunuka, about yeah. anything, any movie. It's all good. It's all good. Um, <laughs> You guys, that was so good, the exchange you two had. And I, I just want to tie it back because, you know, this is the beauty of getting around, and I'm going to use this word very intentionally, a conscious community and tribe. Because even if you're not in a romantic relationship for them to hold a mirror and be your oracle, you get around a conscious tribe that are also seeking to learn, to transform, to heal. They can also be your mirror back. They can hold you accountable. They can, you're right. Cause iron sharpens iron. Right. Like, and I, the movie that always comes up for me is like, like 300. Right. And Leonidas tells that one guy, like, I can't have you in my army, not because I don't want you because I need you to protect the guy to the left and to the right of you, mm-hmm. you know? And to me, like, like that's powerful. That's medicine for a man. Right. To be able, you know what? Like I'm holding this emotion. I'm not sure what to do. Am I crazy? Like, am I losing it? And then Kyle's like, Hey, like, have you thought about this? And I'm like, Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Hey, Andy, have you thought about, Oh, wow. You know? And so in those moments when you can get around a conscious tribe of 
men, because we're men here, that can be your oracle. That can be your mirror. That can force you to, to process and deal with your emotionality. That can force you to be in integrity. That can force you to be in radical ownership. So I just want to tack on that preface alongside what you guys have beautifully shared for those of us that are single still. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So many, so many prefaces. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I got. So yeah. Thanks. And that was beautiful guys. I, I, I wrote that down the feminine Oracle. I'm, I'm adding that to um, yeah, my list. Mm. <laughs> Your list. <laughs> awesome. So I love that, man. That's a double preface there. By the, by the way, Kyle, Yanuka is the king of preface. Oh, so he really enjoyed I prefaced. He really enjoyed your preface, man. Like I could see it on his face. I was approved by the the, the preface <laughs> guru himself. <laughs> Perfect. So, brother, we're we're gonna begin to uh, wrap up our conversation here, and like I still feel like, holy damn, there's still so much to to get into. So maybe we'll have to have you back or get you on an IG live or, or some sort of thing where we can just another container so we can mm. go deep and continue to unpack. Mm. But is there anything else right now, brother, on your, your heart that you want to, you want to share coming out of this conversation with the audience? Any, any nuggets of wisdom that you want to leave with, with men so that they're, they feel supported, seen, heard and prepared and proactive going into their relationship or going into their life. So uh, they could be more integral and they can live with more ownership. Mm, great question. Great question. There, were, I felt like there was ideas flooding with every word. And now I'm sitting here like, what were all of those damn ideas? Isn't that hilarious? So I'll do my best to align myself with what may be coming to me now or downloaded to me now in the sense of I think sometimes what happens is when a man presents that he's doing well in a certain area of his life, um, then all of a sudden uh, there is a bit of uh, a attempt to pull them back down to what feels like the truth. It feels like they're making things up or they're not uh, being truthful with their experience. They're hiding the bad. There's always something wrong. Uh, it can't be too good. Um and so I, I want to try to veer away as best as I can from advice and I think just speak from my experience. That's what feels right in that entering into a relationship will be the most challenging thing that you will ever do. And it might not feel that way, but I think that that lack of realization and lack of responsibility for that is what causes a lot of the challenges that we face in a relationship because we don't really realize how much effort it takes. And it doesn't matter how successful you might be in the exterior world or how well you manage your emotions or how profoundly self-developed you feel you might be walking into that relationship, uh, you will fail. You will break. You will make mistakes. And 
in order for things to continue to move forward in a way that supports you and your partner, uh, you got to own that shit. And you have to take radical responsibility for the part that you play in every moment that you have with your partner. And that might sound exhausting and it might sound like it's, why do I have to work so hard? But nothing often comes great from a lack of hard work, from a lack of focus and intentionality and self-awareness. You cannot build a hundred foot building without some hard ass work and challenge and heavy winds and a storm that slows down production for a week. You cannot go. It was not possible. Life, nature, uh, mother will always challenge you. And you have to be ready for that. And also know that you're not going to be ready for that. So be proactive in the best way that you can. Know you'll be reactive uh, and be settled and accepting of the notion that uh, it will break you open, not break you down. I love that. And you said it more than once now, like this breaking open. And I love that. And what comes to mind is the book Untethered Soul. Mm, And yeah, like just this awareness to just be open to it all and to receive it. And that's, and that's hard, right? Like, let's be honest, if you haven't been given the opportunity to. So, yeah. So, Kyle, yeah, man, I completely agree. I'm not trying to dilute what you just said. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Oh, okay. That was so good. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, Kyle, beautifully said. And, and I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, brother, to close, to begin to close the, the conversation here. And just want to acknowledge you, man, for your, your heart and your and the way you show up and so there's so much purpose behind what you do you know I, I catch your your instagram videos often and there's like a, there's passion man there's purpose there's this fire in your eyes when you speak and deliver and you you brought it today with us and i'm honored to be sharing this this last hour with you and i'm so excited to share your your wisdom with our with our community and our our audience, man. And you, you speak powerfully from experience. You've done it a few times already today. I want to reflect that to you. You you bring it, you bring it home and then you share from there. And that's, that's an amazing trait in you, brother. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate that acknowledgement. That means a lot. Sometimes it's really, really tough to see uh, within yourself what you may be doing right. Because I think we're so focused on what I'm doing wrong and what I could do about that. Um, when you when you're doing it right, there's just to keep doing it. So uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Awesome, man. And I'll pass it over to Yunuqua for any last words, and then we'll uh, we'll say yeah. goodbye. You know, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be 100 transparent, Kyle. I'm not gonna lie. Like I was I was a little hesitant during this call before this call because I was like, yo, like you know, like who is this guy? Here we go. Da 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 da. da. And you know, I'm not gonna lie, man. Like you. you and Andy alluded to it, that the fact that you always came from your perspective and from your, from your mess and the fact that you're willing to be as vulnerable and transparent as you were, man, like, yeah, I loved it. Thank you. Mm. I see you and I appreciate your vulnerability. And so just thank you. Truly. Thank thank you. you. Yeah. I'm I'm glad I could turn the tables.
<laughs> it was, it's, it's, it's been a great conversation and like Andy alluded to like I would love to carry this conversation have a part two whether it's a podcast or an IG because there's there's so much gold that we can go through and that's no pun towards mm. alchemy so well maybe it is you know <laughs> three people in me that's a, that's a powerful ingredient when you get three instead of two changes All the right. game well then here we go man seed planted seed planted <laughs> that's, a, that's a great pun for alchemy brother you own that pun. <laughs> you own that gold. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in uh, to this episode with Kyle. Kyle, again, thank you, brother. And uh, we'll catch you in the next episode or in the next fill-in-the-blank opportunity to, to go deep with you, man. Ciao. Thanks for making time to listen to the King of Hearts podcast. We hope you found something meaningful and impactful in today's dialogue. This conversation with us ends here. However, the conversation with you and your community also starts here. Follow us on Instagram at thekingsof.hearts for everything King of Hearts. And our website is www.kingshearts.com. Until we meet again, be well. Thank you.